Welcome to another episode of Criminal Justice Cafe. Today we have joining with us Ashley First, and she is, this is the first time an interview, I should say, well, a discussion over coffee has happened from a federal halfway house. Ashley right now is in a federal halfway house. We met prior to her going into prison through a support group, and I've kind of been there with her along the way the entire time. So Ash, why don't you tell a little bit about your story, where you're at? Sure. Yeah. So um, I have been in this halfway house since June um, of last year. Um, I had previously done almost a year at Alderson Federal Prison Camp. Um, My crime was white collar. It was one count of wire fraud and I was sentenced to 27 months. So I self-surrendered to Alderson on June 25th, 2019. Um, And then I ended up being released um, because of a couple of reasons. Uh, I filed a motion with my judge and my court um, to be released to a halfway house for a certain period of time um, and then go on home confinement. But so I was released early because of that, but also because of the CARES Act. And I met the criteria to be released early for the CARES Act. Um, so I got here June 4th of 2020. Um, so I've been here since then and I'm about to go on home confinement, hopefully on March 5th, but we'll see what happens with that. And then I'm, I'll be out of, you know, the BOP system at the end of May on May 25th is my release date. So, um, you know, I've just been working. Um, I do digital marketing and social media marketing for a company based in, um, Colorado out here. So, um, I'm just trying to get my life back together. You know, I, I lost everything. Um, you know, I'm divorced. I lost my husband. I lost, you know, family. I lost friends. Um, so I'm just trying to really just put one foot in front of the other at a time. And I have good days and I have bad days. So um, I'm grateful for people like you and your group, um, because there are some days where I don't know what I would have done without you when I was in prison and being here. Yeah. How was it for you? I remember um, I flew out to meet with you to bring Mm -hmm. you to Alderson and I went with you. And that was the first time I had ever seen Alderson. And yeah. it's such a huge campus, but looking at it, I'm like, wow, we're both, I remember I was both standing there saying it kind of looks like a college because yeah. it's just so big. And then it literally does. Yeah. Like there's no, there's no fence. Um, you know, there's like a literally like a retractable like gate <laughs> that goes <laughs> up and down. You could walk, just walk on out if you wanted to. And the, there, the women did initially, they did live in basically like what looked like dorms. They're like, they, we call them cottages. So there were like 14 different cottages and they looked like dorms on the inside. You had a door that shut, you had, you know, a bathroom. Some of them bathrooms had bathtubs in them. Um, When Martha Stewart was there, that was the last time they lived in the cottages because they found asbestos in there. So they ended up building two basically long units at the top of the hill, which they called Hallelujah Hill. So there was A unit and B unit. And then there were four ranges within each unit and each range could hold anywhere between like 120 to 140 women, um, depending if the bus stop was full or not. So how many women were there when you were there? Sorry. 
when I first got there, there were close to a thousand, I think. But then by the time I left um, in June, I think the count was down to like 800 something. So yeah. many women were being released because of the CARES Act. Yeah. Um, and I think down, I think now it's down to like 600. So, yeah, I mean, um, Danbury only has 39 women. When I was there, it was 216, and there's 39 now. Yeah. Um, but that transition yeah. from going in, going from home, and you're, you didn't just go right to prison. You were in a pre-sentence mm-hmm. release for a while. Um, yeah, yeah. Monitored, and then you transitioned into prison, and then you had to transition mm-hmm. into halfway house. And now you're transitioning right. again into your own house now, but that transition mm-hmm. that that's so detrimental to your mental health. How how did you handle all of those transitions? You know, the halfway house has really, honestly, been the hardest part for me um, because you know you're still technically in prison, but you're in the real world. Um, so you know, of course, they encourage you to go out and get a job. But, you know, when you have a job, they call to verify your work every day. So, you know, they're always checking up on you. Um, And if, you know, for some reason, let's say your supervisor doesn't answer, they continue to call until your supervisor um, answers or they'll call you, interrupt your workday to get, you know, your their supervisor to call them. Um, You can even get written up like if your supervisor never calls to verify you're at work. So, um, you know, I can't hold any medication on me. I can't even like ibuprofen. I take blood pressure medic- medication. All that has to be insecurity, which is, it's just crazy to me because in prison, I could carry all that stuff on me. I could carry ibuprofen. I could carry my blood pressure medicine. And it's like, you know, I'm 37 years old. I know how to take my medication. <laughs> like, right. Um, you know, I'm, so I'm not going to sell my blood pressure pills. Yeah. Um, so, you know, And I think just honestly, the mental just toll of always, I mean, they do head counts every hour. So there's always someone in your room, you know, there's anywhere up to six, six females. Um, This this facility is co-ed. So there's male and females here. Um, You know, there's up to six females in a room and you're like on top of each other all the time. Um, You know, the same goes for the guys' rooms. Um, It's just harder. If you're coming from a camp, I remember for me, the same thing, the halfway house was horrible. It was, um, it was the hardest part of my journey. And right. right. Because there's so many restrictions. I mean, if you're in community level and you're going to a camp, you aren't used to those restrictions at all. No, not at all. Not forward. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it really did feel, I was like, I feel like I'm being treated more like a criminal now than I was when I was in actual prison. Like, in prison, I could walk in and out of the unit and do whatever I wanted, basically, yeah. during the day. Um, you know, I could go sunbathe outside. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, you know, here, I can't go past, like, the, the cement block out back. Um, you know, I have to call anytime I move around. Um, it's, yeah, it's definitely way more restrictive and it's taken a lot for me to get used to. And, um you know, I understand that I'm still technically in prison. I get that. That is not lost on me. But it, the frustrating part to me about 
the halfway house is that I have my life together really when it comes down to it. I have a stable job. You know, I have a car. I have car insurance. I have a place to live. I'm about to go on home confinement. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have clean new ways all the time. And it's like, it feels like this environment does everything it can to continue to push you back down, to find small things to get you in trouble for, you know, I never got in trouble once when I was in prison. I've gotten trouble three times since I've been here. And, you know, I'm not saying maybe like I I was, I was in the wrong for some of it. Um, But it's just, it's just crazy. And, you know, there are certain parts of this, whole process where the people you encounter, they just basically look at you and say, oh, you're a white collar criminal. So you're obviously narcissistic. You're obviously selfish. um, And you're never going to change your criminal way of thinking because you're just a selfish person. You've had that issue with staff, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have had some staff member, a high ranking staff member say to me, you know, I don't like white collar criminals because you're selfish, you're narcissistic, you're incapable of changing your criminal way of thinking. And you, you're even worse because you're smart. So you'll do whatever you can to get what you want. And I'm like, that's such, it's like looking at all drug addicts the same way. Like we are not, not all white collar criminals are the same. Um, And I think that the thing about it is too, is for you, from day one, I mean, I've known you for quite a long time now. You've always taken responsibility, accountability. You have owned up your part of anything that you've done wrong. And you really have mm-hmm. worked on yourself. I mean, I've seen such a transformation. You've worked on yourself and did the programs in prison. And then you CARES Act rewards you for doing all of that. And then you mm-hmm. are put back backwards in a system that is supposed to be helping you move forward. And I, I felt the same way. I was, I felt like I was held down and was not able to Mm -hmm. move forward. I was in a stuck position when I was supposed to be halfway home. And that's, yeah. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. It's like, I feel like this system targets people who've actually gotten out and done something right away. Like I got a job after being here a week and a half, it was a goodwill, but I just wanted a job like, you know, and I'm not above working in a goodwill. Like, I don't care. I just wanted a job. (laughs) Like, you know, I had to start somewhere because I was completely starting from rock bottom. Um, and it just feels like, you know, as they see people progress and get better and, you know, achieve milestones, it's like, they look for little things to push you back down to remind you that you're a criminal, that you're always going to be a criminal. And it's not, it's not right. It's not fair. Um, and you know, something, something needs to change is just unacceptable. I was telling you my last podcast, which I don't think you've seen yet, I talked a little bit about how when you have this felony on your back, you are a felon for life. There is no aspiration or nothing you can work toward to someday not be a felon. You will always right. have that. And I think when you're dealing with professional staff in a halfway house, they should be equipped to help you move forward away from that. And yeah, and there's nothing, at least in this place I'm in now, there are no programs. There is nothing. And I was, I was very lucky because I do have a very good education and I did have a career (laughs) before I got in trouble. So, you know, I, I came out and I knew how to navigate the job market. I knew how to find a job. I knew how to write my resume to kind of cover the lapse in employment that I had. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of people that don't have that luxury that don't know how to do it. And, 
I have seen nothing from this place that helps that helps people do that. Um, you know, there's nothing that, you know, says, oh, here, let me sit down with you for 20 minutes and show you how to look on Indeed or on, you know, wherever yeah. to find a job. Um, they, let me ask you. And then they wonder why people are sitting here getting high, <laughs> you yeah, know, right. it's like you're not house. doing anything to help them. Yeah. yeah. Like and you're not house. doing anything to help them. So yeah. when you got, when you got there, you had nothing, no clothing with you. You had nothing but what you came from prison. How did you establish getting clothes and um, all of those things that you need to go out into the real world? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was lucky. I had a good relationship with my ex-husband. So he actually, I flew back here from Alderson because I was not going to take a bus for God knows how many hours. <laughs> so, um, which I actually had to pay for. Um, so if you're, if you're not going to take a bus or have someone come pick you up from prison, any other means of transportation, you have to pay for yourself. Um, so I had to pay for a plane ticket back here, which was fine because then I was leaving the state of West Virginia. <laughs> so, um, but you know, my ex-husband picked me up from the airport and, you know, he brought me the stuff that I would need for the time being just to get by for the next couple of weeks until I could figure out where I was going to be working. And all of my stuff was in a storage unit because we had divorced and he had moved into a house of his own. So all my stuff was in a storage unit. So, um, this place did let me go and, you know, get the clothes that I would need, you know, to go what on. You, what if you didn't have that? What if you didn't have a good relationship with your ex-husband, like some of the women yeah. there, what do yeah. they, um, I think that there are some programs like, you know, like dress for success and Colorado itself has some specific programs where you can, you know, go and apply for, you know, financial assistance. And, but that's another thing. It's like, because we're in the federal system, we're not eligible for a lot of that stuff. that's just state level. So yeah. it's like, okay, so just because I'm, I'm in the federal system, I just have to be naked. <laughs> like I don't, I don't have any opportunities for education or, you know, um, which is great that this state has, you know, such a robust system to help ex-offenders. Um, you know, there's a big defy program out here, um, you know, that does a lot for the men and women that are in the state facilities, you know, helps them, you know, learn how to be entrepreneurs and provides them with resources and stuff when they get out. But, um, you know, I found that I had to go online and search that myself. Like, I, I felt like if I asked someone here, they would be like, well, just go online and search. Like, they don't have things printed out that they can give you um, to help you get back on your feet. It's just like, well, you're an adult, deal with it. Well, yeah, and if you have no computer, okay, I'm, I'm trying to navigate prison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just, I just got out of prison and, you know, the first time I went to Walmart and I wasn't even in prison for that long compared to a lot of the women I've come across. And the first time I went to Walmart, I like had an anxiety attack because I felt like everyone was staring at me because I felt like uncomfortable in the clothes I was wearing, you know? Right. So, and again, I wasn't even in prison for that long. Yeah. You know, just almost a year. And making choices when you come. Oh, I can't even possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll never forget. I the day I left Alderson, there was a woman leaving who had been there for twenty years, and she only got six months in a halfway house. How are wow. you gonna let only give someone six months that has spent twenty years of their life behind the fence? Um, wow. How are you only gonna give them six months to 
get back on their feet to navigate the technology and all the things that have changed. I mean, she showed me her license and she looked like a completely different person. Like you wouldn't have even known it was the same person. Wow. And then like obviously her her friend grew up 20 years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, 20 years and you're expected to learn how to start your life over in six months. Yeah. Like it just, it, you know, we used to joke in prison. It's a setup. Like it literally feels like a setup for failure at, at every turn. <laughs> yeah. And, and the mental health piece to it. I mean, you're transitioning and transitioning and um, your mental health is just being beat down, beat down. It's not being uplifted at all. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I have really struggled. Social workers in the halfway house to help with that. There is a therapist, um, but you have to get it approved by the BOP um, to get treatment, which, um, you know, I had been struggling for a few months, you know, I just, I have a lot of other stressors on me besides just being in a halfway house. Um, you know, I have attorney issues, I have bankruptcy issues, I have tax issues. Um, and you know, I just, I was not coping well. So, um, I went to my case manager and asked if I, if there was a therapy, um, program that I could get into. And there is, but you know, you have to go through all the paperwork with the BOP and then you have to do an interview with the the doctor, with the BOP for them to verify that you do actually need therapy. Yeah. Um, and you thankfully, think everyone you know, at the halfway house does therapy. need therapy. Everyone. Yes. Needs therapy. Everyone does. So you would yeah. think a better way might be to have a therapist coming regularly, visiting the halfway house, making appointments to see you, and everybody in there at different points to try and work on cognitive behavioral things, um, anxiety, PTSD, stressors, right. how to navigate the world again. Like you said, bankruptcy yeah. issues, financial issues are huge. I mean, those, that's the number one thing today is people with financial issues have such bad mental health and there's right. nothing like that. So you're just kind of stuck there and you have what case, a case manager, how many people oversee you? Um, so there's my case manager and there's one, two, three, four case managers. Um, I actually love my case manager. Um, you know, I feel like I can go to her if I have an issue. Um, you know, she's never once judged me. She's never once, you know, talked down to me. I feel like last night I went to her cause I was having a meltdown about something and, you know, she's out there and talked to me for 20 minutes. So, um, you know, all the case managers here are very good. Um, for the most part, I think they really do try to help you if you show you want to, to take the initiative to help yourself um, because they are overloaded. You know, there's only four of them and there's 60, there's 65 people I think here right now, plus another 60 some on home confinement. So, you know, four, four case managers, 120 people, that's 30 people per case manager. That's a lot. (laughs) People starting their um, lives over to help. Yeah. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like I'm sure you the same thing when you went to Danbury, you know, when I got to Alderson, you get appointments with every department. So like I had a psych appointment when I got there, I went to HSU, you know, I went to commissary, you know, I did all that stuff. I feel like, especially like, um, the mental health aspect should be, you should, you should have to meet with a therapist as soon as you get out of prison and come to a halfway house. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know Danbury, I went, <laughs> I actually, my, one of my best friends was the therapist. I'd go to him every day, the psychologist, and I'd knock on his mm-hmm. door 
and um, have a conversation. Yeah. It was much needed. And when I got home, it was just the halfway house did not have anything, nothing. They had no yeah. resources. I remember getting in trouble in the halfway house because I was teaching the other women how to use Word and Excel. They had one computer in the basement. Yeah. And there was some mm-hmm. other women that didn't know, have any any computer skills. So I said, oh, well, we can do a yeah. class. I'll teach you Word and Excel. And I was not allowed to do that. And yeah. that yeah. is yeah. Built a computer lab before I got here. So there's three computers um, up on the second floor. But, um, you know, I have my laptop here. I'm talking to you on my laptop. Um, You know, I had to get it approved by the program director, but they will let you have, um, you know, laptops or tablets as long as, you know, you have a justifiable reason for having it. Sometimes I work from here. um, Mm -hmm. So that's why I was able to have my laptop. But even then, you know, it's a nice change. Because when I was in the halfway house, that was not, we weren't even allowed to have smartphones. We had to have the flip phone and they would break the camera because we weren't allowed to have cameras. Although we were allowed to have cars, the federal, Mm -hmm. I was in a federal and state halfway house and the federal were allowed to have cars with no smartphones, but the state women could have a smartphone with no car. So in the same halfway house, (laughs) half the women had smartphones with no cars. (laughs) The other, it was, um, yeah, we can have, um, smartphones unless you're a sex offender and you cannot have a phone with access to the internet, obviously. Makes sense. Um, Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that is very nice that they will let you have a smartphone and, you know, have a laptop or a tablet. It just makes it easier to, to reenter, to, you know, figure out what's going on in the world and, you know, figure out how to apply for jobs and reconnect with your family and, you know, even just Colorado has some organizations out here where you can, you know, log in to kind of like mini therapy sessions, I guess. And, you know, talk with, you know, obviously you have to get it approved, but, um, you know, it's nice that they do let us, they haven't stayed stuck in the past in regards to technology. (laughs) So So what's next for Ashley? I mean, now you go to home confinement. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? So, um, uh, I have an ankle monitor put on. I actually have one on now. Um, it's GPS. You have an ankle monitor? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wait, you're in the halfway house being yeah. monitored by the halfway house, head yes. counted every hour and you have mm-hmm. an ankle. Does everyone have an ankle bracelet yeah. on? A lot of people do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For what purpose yeah. if you're there and they're monitoring you? Um, I think they, well, so the second time I got in trouble, I was off location. So okay. I had stopped at like a park before I went home from work. So, okay. um, yeah, so they felt like I was trying to escape. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So. Um, and it was during that period of time I just talked about where I was having a lot of trouble processing everything that was going on with me. So, you know, I had finished work early. It was super nice day outside. I was like, you know what, I'm going to go sit and like, listen to a podcast and clear my head before, um, I go back there and, you know, they can take your phone and search it at any time, you know, so, you know, which they do randomly. Um, and so when they took my phone to to search it, they went into my location history and they found that I had been at a park. So I got an ankle monitor put on me. <laughs> for wow. Yeah. And yeah. And the expense of the ankle monitor, who pays that? Do you pay that or do they? 
Um, so right now, actually, all that is waived because of okay. COVID. So we, okay. we, I haven't had to pay substance or anything since I've been here. Okay. Um, but you do have, if they were charging substance, it's 25% of every paycheck. Wow. And it's, That's a lot. It's capped, yeah, it's capped at like $700 a month, I think. But okay. even then, you know, you can find an apartment, a way nice place than this for yeah. almost that much a month. So yeah, um, I'm lucky that the, I have not had to pay substance. So I could yeah. try to save up some money before I you know, move out on my own, but now you're going out on your own and you still have your ankle monitor for how Mm -hmm. long? So I'll have it up until my release date of May 25th. So, and then the way it works for home confinement is that, um, you have to have a landline. So I had to have a landline installed at 40 bucks a month, another expense. (laughs) So, because even though you have the GPS on and they can see where you are, they have to be able to call and verify that you're at home. Yeah, but I, and I have a cell phone. Yeah, they need to. They can look at the GPS, know your home, mm-hmm. but they still need to call on a landline to know your home. Yes, well, that makes sense to yeah. me. <laughs> right, right. Because I can. Because I love paying forty dollars a month for yeah, a that's line. No, co- no common sense to that to me. Yeah, yeah, and it's so interesting to me because there are other women that I talk to who left Alderson around the same time as me and they, they didn't have to have a landline. One of them went home on home confinement, didn't even have an ankle monitor. Yeah. So I do it's, know. It's, so, different for it's different everywhere. Like I, I don't understand why there's not one uniform system. Like I think in Maryland or something, there's an app where your probation officer or the halfway house can track where you are. Yes. So it's just it's Connecticut it's just crazy that they're relying on these ankle monitors and, you know, landlines and, and it's different everywhere. It's just, I don't understand yourself in, right. You have to charge that ankle. Yes. Yeah, I do. And, um, I actually just got a new one put on today because the old one I had, you had to plug it in overnight. And so, you know, I'd have this cord like wrapped around my legs and like (laughs) I would unplug it in the middle of the night and it would only hold like an eight to 10 hour charge. So the new ones that they gave us, um, it'll hold a charge for up to 60 hours. So the way you charge it is you like slip this little um, like beacon thing over the top of it to charge. So it's way nicer than the other one. But again, you know, you have the ability to track me on my phone at all times. Can you show us? Is there a pot? Yeah. See. Wow. It's big. Yeah. This is smaller. This is, so this is my hand. So yeah, this is smaller than the other one I had on too. Yeah. So when you're at work, it, you can't hide that. No, I mean, I, I bought bootcut jeans. Um, but you know, the people I work with are all super understanding. They're not judgmental and you know, it's a smaller like co-working space. So um, I wear it. I let, I rock the ankle monitor. (laughs) Like, you know, my situation is what it is. Um, you know, I feel like that's part of the process is owning up to your past. And, you know, if someone doesn't want to talk to me because I have an ankle monitor on and they have some preconceived notion of me, then I don't need you to be fake nice to me. I don't need you in my life. Well, it sounds Um, like, you you know, I only want people around. That's unbelievable. Because that was part of why I got into trouble. You know, I had this like need to always want to please people. And I still find myself sometimes doing that. Um, you know, if I'm like, you know, down or, you know, having a bad day, I don't, I don't like knowing people are mad at me, but 
you know, when we first met, like I was so ashamed of my crime and I'm certainly, certainly not proud of it, but I also know I have done everything that I can to pay my victims back because it is the right thing to do. I don't need a gold star for, for that. You know, I don't need to say someone to tell me good job. I genuinely wanted to pay my victims back because I knew what I did was a shitty thing. Yeah. Um, and to this date, um, I think I've paid back close to like 80 or 90% of what I stole, which was also part of the reason I got out of prison so early and my motion was approved because um, they said they had never really seen, you know, a white collar criminal pay back over 50% of what they stole even before they were sentenced. So it's true. um, You know, and I, institutions are often so large. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I want to pay them back and, you know, I'm completely starting over. but like I said, I don't need a gold star for doing that. I, I want to do that, you know. Um, well, I'm impressed. I'm I mean, I'm impressed proud. because you're taking such responsibility to everything and you're owning up to it. And now you're mm-hmm. moving on to your own place. And that's got to kind of be scary in a way. I mean, when you <laughs> left, you had a home. You had a house with a husband. Yeah. And you had a dog, right? And yeah. now you're two going. Dogs. Two dogs. And now you're going yeah. to apartment and you're going to be by yourself and starting a whole new chapter. And that's got to be scary right there. Yeah. And that is, you know, when I first got back, I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. Um, you know, because I didn't have a home to go to, you know, my sister lives out here. Um, so, you know, I know she's here, like if I ever needed her for something, but you know, I didn't have a place of my own. I did. I felt very alone and like, you know, well, what do I, what do I do? (laughs) Um, and you know, I don't want to say that this place became my home because that, you know, I'm not comfortable here, nor will I ever be comfortable here, but you know, at least I knew I had a place to come back to. Um, and you know, I like the staff that were a lot of the security staff that works here, you know, for the most, most of them, you know, treat you with respect and they'll sit there and talk to you and, you know, get to know you as a person and, you know, they don't care about what your crime was. Um, but yeah, it is. I felt that in prison too, in Danbury, most of the, the, the correctional officers really did treat us with respect. It was the administrative staff and mm-hmm. the management staff that treated, I think, financial crime. I hate the word white collar because it's so, but I mean, you commit a financial crime, you commit a drug crime, you commit whatever your crime is. But I feel almost that, <laughs> Women who, or I can only speak for women because it was my experience, but women who commit financial crimes mostly all have the same issues. Like you said, people pleasing, um, thinking you're not enough, you're less than, always having to prove yourself and you go above and beyond and and you just get yourself into this self-destructive mode. And you're so beat down when you finally get to prison and then you're beat down even more because you, you should have known better. You're educated. You have a family, you have a home. You should have known better. Shame on you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way you're, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there were, I, I I remember one of the things you said to me, you were like, you will sleep the best you've ever slept your first night in prison. And I slept like a rock because it was like, everything was over. And I I remember when we were sitting at breakfast, like, I, I don't think I had to be there until two and it was like noon. And I was like, let's just go. Like, yeah. I just get it over with. Like, I just want to go and be done. And I slept so good that first night. And, um, you know, you do like, 
that was one thing about prison. No one judged you for your crime. No one, no one cared. You know, of course they all want to know, um, you know, how long you have, um, you know, if it's financial, they love to know how much money you stole. <laughs> um, yeah, you have a but, buried somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. I got asked that. I was like, no, I do not have a buried <laughs> anywhere. Um, but you know, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like a lot of the women that I met, um, you know, that had crimes similar to mine, we all had the same issues, you know, wanting to please people, wanting to make sure other people were taken care of and, um, low self-esteem, you know, that is one thing that I struggle with is low self-esteem and yeah. going through this process has not helped that, you know, yeah. you, cause you do come across people and I came across officers in prison who made you feel like a piece of shit. Um, and I've come across people here that work in the halfway house that make you feel like a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, but you know, sometimes I do let it get to me, but I just have to stop and say, you know what? I know I'm more than my crime. Um, you know, I've done everything I can to make things right. And I'm trying to be better and, you know, I'm going to have bad days. And of course I might slip into old patterns of thinking every now and again, but you know, it's just about looking at how far I've come in such a short time. Cause I haven't even really been out of prison in a year. Um, yeah. for a year. so, you know, just thinking about how far I have come <clears throat> is a big part of just making sure I can keep putting one foot in front of the other. But, you know, even going to prison, I, that was when I actually had to confront all the bad things about myself. Um, it's hard. I did it. It's hard. It's really hard. You know, it was, and you know, I did, I worked with a therapist before I left to go to prison and, you know, he and I touched on a lot of stuff that helped me be able to really acknowledge and address those issues when I was in prison. Yeah. Um, and you know, there was a lot of stuff about myself that I, I don't like, um, that I didn't like, and I'm still trying to change and it's not going to happen overnight, but you know, I'm just doing the best I can <laughs> at this you point. Thrown there and you have the, you actually can go two ways. You can use that opportunity to really look mm -hmm. in a mirror and say, okay, mm -hmm. how did I end up here? And I know you did cause we talked <laughs> through email and you yeah. really did look at yourself hard. And I, I know yeah. I did too. And when you come home, you're now faced with all these other obstacles and you got to go and you got to get a job now. And yeah. it's not like you're, this felony is going to go away anytime soon mm -hmm. or ever. Yeah. So you have this life sentence that has different sections. I try and break it down into sections. So this is, you know, the section that's prison. This is the section that's halfway. Now you're the section that's going to go into home confinement. Mm -hmm. Then after that, you're going to hit another transition. How do you really go back into the world when people start Googling you and people want to know who you are and, Mm -hmm. um, you're not in that comfortable zone of being with like people that are in the same situation as you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God, I wish the internet had never been invented <laughs> sometimes because I mean, you Google my name and you get a whole treasure trove yeah. of articles about me and, um, you know, it is what it is. I can't, I can't change that. Um, you know, I know there are initiatives in place. Like, I think I shared an article with you in like Boston, like the yeah. newspapers and, you know, and other, you know, organizations are working to try to remove like the tags from people's names and articles. And so to give them a fair chance, because, you know, if someone hasn't taken the time to know me and they just Google my name, of course, they're going to think I'm a terrible person. They're going to think I'm greedy. They're going to think I'm selfish. They're going to think I'm a piece of shit. Um, but I know I'm not. Right. And 
you know, that's, that's super frustrating that, um, you know, people are just going to base their opinion of me on a Google search. Oh, because but, a true second chance, you wouldn't have that. Right. So, right. You know, society says we want to give um, ex offenders this true second chance, the second chance mm-hmm. act. But yeah. is it really a second chance? It really isn't because mm-hmm. no matter what, if they do a background check, you're coming up. And yeah. there are very, you're very lucky because there's so few employers that will hire somebody with a felony on their background. Yeah, I got very, very, very lucky in finding this this marketing company. Um, you know, it's a group of women. It was founded by a woman. There's only um, five of us that work there, all women. Um, and, you know, on my final interview, I told her about my situation and she literally didn't even blink an eye. Um, you know, I actually found out, you know, after working there a couple of weeks, we had gone to the, um, there's a women's correctional facility, like right down the street, actually from our office. And she, and actually a client of ours had gone to speak to the women there about, you know, how to rebuild your life, you know, how to, you know, take a, an inward look at yourself and know that you're capable of being more than just your situation. So, I was very, very lucky to have found this well, company. Well, you're very and- talented, too. Very talented. Well, <laughs> I'll a little bit here. Ashley has done a lot of work on our website, and we switched hosting companies, and she took care of it all. And so if you look at <laughs> um, www.evolutionreentry.com, that's Ashley's work. And she's wonderful <laughs> what she does. So give yourself credit, too. Well, thank you. Are very yeah, well, thank you. I, but, I mean, that, I mean... That's true. You know, they were able to look look at my professional past and say, what can she bring to this organization rather than just looking at my personal past and the mistakes that I've made. Um, And I wish there were more employers out there like that, Um, you know, hopefully within time. But, you know, you're right. It's not really a true second chance um, as long as someone can go your name. And they come up with 50 different articles about <laughs> you and your crime. It's true. So, I mean, and, you know, I can say till I'm blue in the face, but you get a tax credit if you hire me. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like, here I come, I bring my tax credit. <laughs> like, but, you know. Carry that sign around you just as tax credit. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But well, I think I'm very lucky. Places. I really do. I think you're going places. And the one major piece to why you're going to be okay is your transparency. I think that a lot of women come home and they want to forget and just put it aside. And because of the internet and this lack of second chance that you get, it's very hard to do that. And I think that's why I didn't. I decided that I was just going to embrace my past and learn from it and try and help others understand where people who make mistakes come from that you are not your, your past. You're just not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think you and I have that same mentality. Like I cannot change the past. I mean, of course I wish I could, but I can't. So this whole process is, is a part of me now. And, you know, it's changed me for the better, I think. So, um, you know, I just have to embrace it because I can't change anything about it. Right. Um, right. You know, my background is really, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my background is really heavy in the lobbying world, actually. So, you know, eventually down the road, I'd love to get 
into working with a lobbying organization that's working on criminal justice reform because I just met so many women in prison who, you know, have never been afforded the opportunities that I was lucky that my parents gave me. And I'm so lucky that my parents, you know, gave me an access to a great education and always supported me in everything that I wanted to do. I came, I met so many women who did not have that opportunity that had to turn to selling drugs or selling guns just to put food on the freaking table for their kids. So it's like, and because they were trying, again, they were trying to provide just in a different way than, you know, you, you know, I did, or you did, or, you know, any of the women in, in our group. Um, you know, they're stuck with that for the rest of their lives, no matter how many changes, you know, they've made to themselves personally. So, you know, and again, just being stuck here in this halfway house (laughs) for as long as I have, and, you know, really experiencing what the system does to people. Um, it's me, I guess it's kind of so, so important. I just had a conversation with one of the women. We have a support group in case anybody doesn't know, we've been talking about that a little bit. And in our support group, somebody told me that, um, they were worried about me because I was burning the candle at both ends and I was helping too many people and I needed to bail. And I thought, well, that's a cop out. No, I don't need to bail. This is an Mm -hmm. important topic. And I think that not enough women come out of that shell that they're in because they're so afraid of the transparency and Mm -hmm. it's important. It's an important topic. And I commend you. I really do because it's hard to get women to come on the show and knowing that people are going to watch it and it needs to be watched. It needs to be seen. Yeah. I mean, I, just like how you were such a resource and a help for me. Like I, I want to be that for, for other women, because, you know, that is what's, I guess, kind of special about being in prison is that these women you meet, you have a connection with for the rest of your life. Yeah, you do. Um, you know, because you went through such a traumatic and growing experience together. Like I can talk to my best friends back in Maryland and DC all day long about what prison is like, but they're never going to really like understand. Right. Um, you know, they're not going to understand what it's like to wear those horrendous khaki uniforms and like have your shirt tucked in all the time. You have to wear <laughs> like, God, like, yeah. so, I, you know, there's I, this community of women now that, you know, that bond is, it is, it is a huge bond. And I often feel that I say it quite uh, to my husband a lot that I feel like I'm this square trying to fit in this circle where my friends who are dear and they all, none of them judge me and they stuck by me, but they don't understand. And I feel like I don't fit in often because my mind is always, and it is always on women in prison or criminal justice reform. And I sleep it and I eat it and I'm in school getting my degree in criminal Mm -hmm. justice. And it forever changed me. Mm -hmm. What I experienced yeah. Yeah. never changed me. And the women that I see that are going through it has forever changed me, all of you, because it's, yeah. there's really no common sense to a lot of it. There's no common sense how you were put in, an, in a halfway house, but I have so many other women that I work with that were gone, that went right to home confinement or some that are still mm-hmm. in prison that didn't get released at all and have a, a husband, a home, a job, mm-hmm. and they're still in a camp. And it's just different yeah. in every single camp, all depending on the warden and the administrative staff. Yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, you and I are so similar in that regards. Like I just, you know, something, something needs to change. Something needs to change. And if I, you know, I feel like, you know, I went through this, I got caught for a reason. I went through this whole experience for a reason. (laughs) Um, You know, there's, this is like a teaching moment, you know, what, what, besides learning things about myself and figuring out things about myself, how can I help women behind me that are going to make the same mistakes that I made? Because, you know, it's just, you know, I can sit here and say it's not fair and, you know, um, you know, complain about the fact that I got sentenced to 27 months, even though I had paid so much money back, you know, I still committed a federal crime. <laughs> like I still needed to be punished, but, um, you know, there's just certain parts of this whole process that, you know, wear you down and make you feel worthless. And it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't, you know, my judge said that she felt prison was rehabilitative and I call bullshit on that. It's not Absolutely. rehabilitative. It's punishment. It it's it punishment. Is. You know, there's nothing I I saw even in just, you know, the little less than a year I was there, I saw women come back multiple times because, you know, they go back out and they start using again because nothing about prison is helpful. Nothing. You're taking these women away from their family, from their kids. You know, you're not doing anything. You know, you say you have these programs in place and, you know, there are women that benefit from like the RDAP programs and the non-res programs, of course, but, you know, that still doesn't really prepare you for the slap in the face that the real world is when you get back with yeah. the stressors that you left when you went to prison. They're still there waiting for you when you get out, yeah. you know, especially if you don't have anyone to support you and be around you. You're, you could flip back into your old ways. And, you know, yeah. that's why it's so important for me to, you know, want to be a resource for women. So they feel like they have someone there. You know, I felt you know, my relationship with my ex is not great anymore. And, um, you know, you know, he was the only person that I really kind of had in prison besides you. Like if, if I didn't have you, I would have only had maybe one or two other people to talk to. And, you know, going through this process, you need a good support system. So you really um, do. I'm grateful for people like you to have created, you know, programs and groups like you have to help women like me and women that are going to be making mistakes. <laughs> you know, well, I'm excited that you're going to join our group and be yeah. one of those women, <laughs> other women, yeah. because you have so much to give back. You really do. You've really done the work and you've, um, you're really a wonderful person. I love talking to you. I love watching <laughs> you grow and I am excited to see what's next for you. Thank you. And, Thank you. um, so you got to come back and yeah, Back on the show when we're huge and big and we yes. have a million followers. Exactly. Exactly. Right now, the 33 people that follow us. <laughs> That's fine. We're at least hitting those 33 people. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, I am so excited that you are here. And um, even from a halfway house, you took the time out. There, There's very few people that would do that. So thank you. And the time difference too. What time is it where you are? Uh, it's almost eight. Eight. So that means it's almost 10 where you are. <laughs> 10. I know. This is what I mean. We're, we're people are saying I'm burning the candles. 10 o'clock. Yeah. I need to have another, another conversation with someone. <laughs> so, um, so you are going to come back again and you, we will see a lot more of you. Check out evolutionreentry.com. And how, if people want to talk to you, Ashley, how do they get in touch with you? Um, you know, they can send me an email or, you know, if they want to contact you directly, I'm more than you fine with you giving them my contact information. 
Um, you know, I have nothing to hide. I'm an open book at this point. Criminaljusticecafe <laughs> like, at gmail.com. If you want to talk to Ashley, she'd be more than happy. Any woman out there who wants to talk to either one of us, please reach out because you really do need that support. And we have a lot of women that are there for you. So until next week, we will uh, see you yep. and have a great week. Bye.